Here we go. Here we go. James Fav. Love it, eh? Hey? Only Stephen's excited about James Fav. Hey? So before we start, we're going to read through the chapter. I'm going to call Stephen Marietta. They've been practicing all week. They know this chapter off by heart. So you can test them afterwards. Thank you. <laughs> Morning, everybody. <laughs> James 5. Warning to rich oppressors. Now listen, rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look. The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord has finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and somebody, uh, someone should bring, back that, uh, bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Wow, what a chapter, eh? Hey? As usual. So, I mean, I was looking at this and I thought, okay, chapter five, it shouldn't be too difficult. Until I read the first line. Now, listen, you rich people, weep and wail. So I thought, this is a fantastic way to start a scripture. There's so much that you can talk about in James 5. So, I've highlighted 
one main aspect, and we're going to get into that just now. But if you look at the chapter, it goes, it's a warning to the rich oppressors that wasn't the people in the church, it was people outside of the church, telling them to, to um, you know, go through a whole lot of, of things there. You're not paying wages to people that are working in your fields, et cetera, et cetera. Patience and suffering, I think that's something that um, we all hate. I don't want to suffer, do you? But God says be patient in suffering. Why? Because it's perseverance. And we'll look at that just a little bit later. And then we get to what I want to speak about today. And I, I, was, I was looking at this, this, this verse, these verses about two weeks ago. I started preparing and I, I read this verse and I thought, wow, that is a key to life. So I'm going to read it. James 5, 13 to 16, it says, If anyone among you in trouble, then that person should pray. Is anyone among you happy, then that person should sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick, then that person should should send for the elders of the church to pray over them. They should ask the elders to anoint them with olive oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered by those who have faith will make that sick person well. The Lord will heal them. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you might be healed. The prayer of a godly person is powerful, and things happen because of it. And I was reading this, and I thought, wow, that is so cool. Wow, because it covers everything. Don't you think? If you're in trouble, what should you do? If you're happy, which is? Pray. If you're sick, if you confess to one another, what should you do thereafter? Wow, there's a theme. Hey? Don't you think? Pray. Pray. And I'm thinking, well, this is so cool. And, and I, I read that in the morning and I thought, okay, I'm going to go to work now and everything's going to be cool. I tell you, I had one of the most miserable days of my life. <laughs> I felt nauseous. I felt sick. I thought it was a bad samosa that I'd eaten. I blamed the samosa, but it actually wasn't. But I just, and I got home, and Lisa said, are you, are you okay? Do you need to go to the doctor? Should we take you to hospital? And she says, is it your chest? Is it your heart? And I'll get into that just now. And I said, no, I'm just feeling, Bleh. there's actually nothing that I can explain it. And as I went to bed that night, I was just, I was lying there, and, and just the scripture came to my mind again. It says, if you're in trouble, pray. So I said, God, I don't know what this is, but I want you to take it away from me. And it was almost like, it lifted like that. And I said, God, what is that? He says, it's a key. And I felt God say to me, this is a key for your life. You just read this this morning. It was good. You took it to heart, and you prayed, and you carried on, and then all of a sudden, the enemy just came and just said, not a chance. I'm going to make you miserable the whole day. Why? Because you're trying to get hold of something that God is trying to unlock in your life. And I came to the evening, and I just said, I remember the scripture. Thank you, God. Prayed, and it lifted. And it was almost like this oppression just lifted, and it was like, okay, I know this is real. We all know prayer is important, right? But none of us ever do it. It's like this, when, you, when, when you're in trouble, what do you do? You run this way. When, you, when you're sick, you run this way. And it's like, you almost like playing basketball, and you're trying to shoot for the hoop that's way in the distance, and there's all these defenders, but God's actually standing at the hoop and saying, just throw me the ball. You say, no, God, I've got to get through all these defenders. I've got to run. I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to do this. But our first response should be, God, help me. Here's the ball. You take care of it. Instead, we try to hold on to the ball, and we try and run through. We're a rugby nation. I use basketball. I don't know why. It's the first thing that came to mind. We're a rugby nation. We'll get that ball, and we try to run through every single person that stands in our way. Instead of passing to God, he's in the open, and he's clear. What does this say? And Peter says, Cast all your burdens into Jesus, for he cares for you. Hey? Take your burdens. 
Pastor Jesus. When you're in trouble, what do you do? You pray. When you're happy, we sing. Often when we're in trouble, we run straight to God and say, God, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. When we're happy, it's like, oh, look what I've done. My life is so good. And who do we give credit to? We don't give credit to God. But in everything, we run to God. Everything. I was reading and I was going through and I found this, this great quote by Thomas Brooks. And it says, Cold prayers are arrows without heads, swords without edges, as birds without wings. They pierce not, they cut not, they fly not up to heaven. Cold prayers always freeze before they reach heaven. And I thought it's a great quote, quote, but I've actually got no idea what it means. What is a cold prayer? What do you think a cold prayer is? Hey? I'll tell you, just because you're curious. A cold prayer is greedy. It's self-seeking. It's all about me. A hot prayer full of faith is about God's will. And those reach heaven, and those pierce the at- and break the atmosphere, and those cut to the, you know, dividing the marrow and the bone. It's just, and they sharp, 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 sharp. Hot prayers. The prayers we need to be praying need to be hot prayers, full of faith. Hey? Very quiet. You're more than welcome to agree with me. Full of faith. Thank you very much. So, I think I've mixed up my slides and everything, but the, I think the next one is, is the list of what we should be doing. When do we pray? I think. Yeah, when we're in trouble. So I've gone through that already, so I don't need to go through it again. But it is. We pray, and that, that, those four points encompass our whole life. Don't you agree? That's us. We are always in trouble. Sometimes we're happy. Most times we're in trouble. We're sick, and we definitely need to confess our sins. That encompasses our whole life. So what does it mean? Our first response has to be God. Our first response cannot be my wife. Yes, she's always there as a comfort, and my first response is, God, I'm in trouble, and he always says, go and speak to your wife. <laughs> and most times it's, I'm in trouble with my wife, so it's a bit, bit, of, a, bit of a problem. <laughs> Babe, I love you. If you want to. But it's just that. It's like God says, run to me. Come to me. He never turns us away. He never says, I'm on a phone call. He never says, just wait by the door, I'll get to you when I'm, when I'm free. Hey? How's that? The moment we say, God, he's there. He's listening. He says, yes, my child. What can I do for you? I think that's awesome. I was reading, and I thought, I was just going to read all these, these stories of, of faith and prayer, and I read about George Mueller, and I read about this person and that person, and people coming to salvation. I thought, these are great testimonies. I'm going to read them. And then we were chatting about it at home, and we just thought, well, actually, I don't need those great stories because I've got a great story of my own, of God's testimony. You guys have a story of God's testimony in your life. I'm going to tell you my story, and most of you know, but around about eight years ago, I suffered three heart attacks in the space of four hours, and while this was happening, unbeknownst to me, the church was praying. And this is, and I'll, I'll get into, so I had the first heart attack when I went, went into hospital. They said, I've got chest pains. They said, okay, they connected me up. They said, no, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. And then the heart attack happened. Then I got transferred to the hospital, St. Augustine's, 
As the paramedics transferred me and they signed the paperwork to the nurses on call, I had another heart attack. And I flatlined. And they couldn't resuscitate me. They had to shock me back. And then that was fine. And then, and, but throughout this whole thing, we just saw God's hand over it. And then they went in for the angiogram. They wanted to see what was causing the blockage. And I had the third heart attack. And I flatlined again. And they had to shock me again. And the first thing I saw was the nurse smiling at me and laughing at me. She says, do you remember I shocked you? And I said, no. She said, well, yes. I was supposed to come back from that room with a ventilator. The nurses thought that Lisa was going home a widow that day. But I came back from the, the operating theater talking and laughing. Hey? And it was only afterwards, and I mean, I, I was sitting up in the general ward and they gave me my file and I opened the file. And the first thing that was there says, Grant Hansen death report. I had flatlined for 10 minutes. For 10 minutes, they couldn't get my heart started. They had to do manual resuscitation, and eventually they got it back. And then I read a bit further down, and the third time that I had it, I flatlined for four minutes. And it's just like, I, I read that, and I looked at that, and I said, wow, God. I said, I said, I'm speechless. Lisa could be a widow. My, my kids could not have, but you chose to save me. And it was only afterwards, when I got my phone... When I was at home and I started reading the messages that came, oh, I'm going to get emotional now. The messages that came on the van of prayer. And then people phoning me and saying, we've got people in the USA and the UK to pray for you because we heard you were in trouble. And that, my friends, is the power of prayer. When you are lying in bed, when, when you're dead, the church gets around you and they pray. And God says, I'm moved by this, and I'm going to heal. I think that's, a, and that's my testimony. That's an amazing testimony for myself and for, for Lisa. But it's not about that. It's about the power of prayer. And it's about how God is moved by prayer. And it says that when you're sick, call the elders. The elders came. The next testimony I want to tell you is actually quite a nice testimony because it involves one of our own, Alicia. Alicia was in our home group, and we, at the beginning of the year, we said, okay, we are going to write down the things that we are going to pray for. So everyone's going through, ah, oh, but my job would be good, and this one, Alicia says, I want a husband by this time next year. <laughs> so we said, that's interesting. And we wrote it down, and we prayed. A couple of weeks later, she met JP. JP came to home group. Andrew said, hey, whatever happened to that guy that, we, that you thought uh, you went on a date with? And Lisa said, well, actually, he's sitting next to me. So Andrew felt like a little bit of a, but it was all good. And then a year later, guess what? She was married. Hey? But then again, that is the power of prayer. Because we continue to pray until it happened. Doesn't matter if you're dying or if you're wanting a husband, or you're needing food. The power of prayer is powerful. So all I can say, Stephen's experienced the power of prayer when he's got no groceries in the, in the cupboard. And all of a sudden, there's been a knock at the door, and people have said, here's supper. Whatever it is. I mean, there's been many, many testimonies of God coming through. And that is in our community, in our family. We don't have to read about things happening overseas. We can listen to testimonies of our own church, for the power of prayer and how God comes through for us. And that, to me, 
is amazing. That God would choose KCR to show his power, to show his love, to show his mercy, to show his compassion. How awesome is that? Hey? I'm happy with that. Thank you, Alicia. <laughs> All prevailing prayer has its roots in the written word of God. Everything. If the roots are not in the word of God, it means nothing. That is an amen. Because we can simply, we, we can't just pray frivolous prayers and expect God to answer them. But if God, if we're praying for the word of God, if we're praying for people to be saved, if we're praying for people to be healed, God has said it. God doesn't lie. He acts. Sometimes it's in the way that we like. Sometimes it's not in the way that we like. But God acts every single time. No, faith is always based on the word of God. Romans 10 verse 17. Hey? Faith is based on the word of God. If there's a need, God will meet it. Philippians 4 verse 19. If there's fear, God will replace it. If there's a burden, God will lift it. If there's someone in need for someone to be saved, God will deal with them. If there is a sin, God will forgive it. How amazing is God? I think he's amazing. Because all I have to do is I just have to come to him and say, God, this is what your word says. Let's do this. Hey, how cool is that? I think it's cool. You see, we can only pray in faith if I, if, if we can. Sorry, we can only pray in faith if we can base our prayers on the revealed will of God. His word found in the Bible. Anything else is merely something based on our own wants or our own needs. And it's just, hey, it would be nice to have a million rand in the bank. It would. But is it what God wants for me? No. So do I pray it? I try to. <laughs> but it never happens. It's like praying for the lotto. It's never going to happen. So, and I know Greg has spoken about that many, many times, but anyway, we can have absolute assurance that God will always answer prayers if it's according to his will, if it's according to his word. Absolute assurance. One of the, the verses in, um, I lost my place in my Bible. So verse 13, oh sorry, verse 16 says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Hey? I was reading that and I thought, that's an amazing verse. And then I thought, well, am I righteous? It says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And automatically the first thing starts coming to my mind, but Grant, you're not righteous. How can you call yourself righteous? Obviously that when you pray, because you're not righteous, your prayers mean nothing. First things that started coming to my mind yesterday as I was reading this. And I thought, actually, no. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross. I have right standing with God. I am righteous in the eyes of God. My prayers are powerful and effective. No matter how big, no matter how small, they are powerful and effective. Why? Because Jesus has done it all. And we stand through Jesus and we pray through Jesus to the Father. And we say, in Jesus' name, be healed. In Jesus' name, let circumstances change. It's not in Grant's name. It's in Jesus' name. And we have right standing with God. We can stand where we are with confidence. We can boldly enter that throne room and we can boldly go to God and say, God, I need you because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus has opened that door 
and he has made that way for us to have communion and, and relationship with the Father. Jesus prayed on the, on the cross. Jesus prayed before he, went to, to, before he went to the cross for us. Prayer is powerful and effective. And us as church, as the church, I think we've lost it a little bit. Why? Because it's hard. No one ever said prayer would be easy. No one ever said, I mean, I, I, when I first became a Christian, I thought, well, prayer is going to be like me talking to Johnny. There's going to be, everything's going to be cool. We're going to have a great conversation. It's going to be fun and laughter. But often I pray and I don't hear anything. And I pray and it's just like I get frustrated and I, and I, and I walk away. And then three or four hours later, the answer comes. But I've taken that step to pray. I've taken that step to say, God, come, let's chat, let's commune. And sometimes God will say, well, how much do you really want me? Are you really wanting to push into me? This is what I, I, I believe is that sometimes we get a quick answer, sometimes we don't. But God is always there. Even though when we feel like he's not, he is always there. But sometimes, if you read in Romans, and I'm really jumping around, sorry, Mom. All right, I'll, I won't speak about that now. I'll get back to it just now, so it's much easier. Okay. Because of Jesus, what he accomplished, our prayers are powerful, no matter how big or how small. To become more effective, we need to heed these words of Bishop Hall. It's not the arithmetic of our prayers, how many they are, nor the rhetoric of our prayers, how eloquent they may be, nor the geometry of our prayers, how long they be, nor the music of our prayers, how sweet our voice may be, nor the method of our prayers, how orderly they may be, nor even the theology of our prayers, how good the doctrine may be, which God cares for. Fervency of the spirit is that which availeth much. What does fervency mean? I had to look it up in the dictionary. Fervency is a noun or fervent, which means to display or do with passionate intensity. Hey? Passionate intensity. When we pray, are we doing it with passionate intensity or are we doing it ho-hum? For me, I'm going to be honest, it's more like, I've got to do this. Elijah prayed earnestly that there would be no rain in Israel. And guess what? There was no rain in Israel. Then he prayed earnestly that there would be rain. And guess what? There was rain. It's our passion that God had. God was so passionate about us that he sent his son to die for us. Hey? That's how much, that's how much passion he has for us. Our passion to God is revealed in what we do in, in, in our prayer life. And if I measure that, my passion is not that great. But it's definitely something that I want to work on. And it doesn't mean that you go around shouting in the streets, you know, while you're praying. What does God say? He says, when you pray, go into a closet and pray to me, but pray intensely. Come on. Hey? I think that's very cool. See, we always have a tendency to ask and we sit down and we wait for God. Say, God, okay, I've prayed for this. Now I'm just going to wait for you to do this. I would like to be more prophetic. Okay? I'm going to sit back and I'm just going to wait. Hey, God, when's the prophetic coming? And years go by and years go by and years go by. Hey? Often, so what we need to be doing is that we pray and then we actually walk out what we've prayed. I want to be more prophetic. Father God, help me be more prophetic. 
So what do I need to do? I need to go and step out and start speaking encouraging words over people. But all of a sudden, I'm, I'm activating this, and things are working, and God's directing, and he's guiding me. And all of a sudden, I'm flowing in the prophetic. Hey? Well, I want to be a leader. I want to be a leader in the church. What does leadership in the church look like? You go and you look in the Bible and say, well, this is what leadership is. This is what I need to be doing. And you don't become a leader once you're ordained as a deacon or as an elder. You're actually functioning in that role before you even call to, before you even get the title. That is what happens. If look, God, this is what I want to do. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to step out. I'm going to start working at it right now so that when the time comes, I'm ready. Often we'll sit back and wait, okay, God, I'll do this when, when you say I'm ready. And we'll never will be. And we need to be wise about our prayers, people, I'm just saying. Don't ask for a million rand and then go out and act like you have a million rand because that's just unwise. But when you're going according to the things of God, God says, step out. Let me direct you, let me guide you. You might have a desire to do something, but God might have a desire for you to do something else. But while you are walking in that area, he will change your direction. We all know the analogy. It's, it's very difficult to steer a stationary ship. It's much easier if the ship is moving to just push it back onto its course again. And if you veer of course, God will just bring you back again. But it needs to be something that we are doing. We have to step out in this. Prayer is not about praying something, sitting back and waiting for God to move. Prayer is about praying something and acting on those prayers. It's not a passive thing. It's a go, go, go thing. See, we have a God that is, as Paul says in Ephesians 3 verse 20, he says he's exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Exceedingly and abundantly. So when we go to God, it's not about saying, okay, God, I just need this little thing. God says, ask, ask big. Angus Buchan, when he wanted to do um, the mighty men, I think after the third or fourth year, he says, we're going to get this tent, we're going to put it up, it's going to have 60,000 people. And everyone thought, you mad. You will never get 60,000 people there. He says, we're going to do it. He put the tent up, and guess what? Way more than 60,000 people arrived. Because he thought big. He says, he's got a big vision. God has given us big visions. We need to pray for these big visions. Hey? Don't you... I mean, if you think of a Manzum Toady, what is your vision for a Manzum Toady? I know what my vision is. What's your vision? What would you like to see happen in a Manzum Toady? And are you praying for that in a Manzum Toady? Are you praying that there would be more churches? Are you praying that people would be saved? Are you praying that this would be almost like a gateway into the south? You know? Because people have to come through a Manzum Toddy in order to get south. It's almost like you get the industrial area, Toyota and everything like that, and then there's the city, and everyone has to go through the city. So as people drive through, what are we praying that people would experience as they're driving through Manzum Toddy? Something, some, some big thing. God's a big God. You know, are we praying that as people drive through, I'm, I'm going off my court, my notes again, as you're praying, are they, as, as people drive through, are they experiencing the love of the Father? They don't have to come to church to experience the love of the Father. They can experience it. Why? Because we, as the church, set the atmosphere of man's Toddy. How's that done? Through prayer. Something we need to be praying about. 
What we need to remember is that God is sovereign. He does do as he please. He always answers us. Always. It might not be according to our timetable, but he always answers us. It might be a yes. It might be wait. Or it might be a no. But there's always an answer. God is not indecisive. See, our walk with God shouldn't be complicated. We're the people that make it complicated. God is always consistent. Always. He's always right. He's always spot on in timing. And we look back, we always realize that he was right. How many times have you looked back and said, well, God, I prayed for this. It took a long time. But you know what? It was actually exactly the right time. God knows what he's doing. It's amazing, eh? So even though God knows the outcome, he still wants us to pray with faith. Perseverance. Romans 5, verse 3 to 4 says, Not only so, but when we glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. When we persevere, produces character. And that character produces hope. That is the walk that we have with God. From the moment that we save, we need to persevere so it builds up our character so that we have hope. Who is hope? Jesus, who hope and glory. Awesome. God knows us better than we do. So as we land, I want to ask you this little question. Do you believe God at his word? Do you trust him to do the things he says he can do? Do we actually trust him with all of our being? I mean, we can all trust God a little bit, but do we trust him with all of our being? And that means everything that we are. It's something difficult. I'm trying to, and it's, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to trust God with everything. Difficult. Because as I said right in the beginning, we always run to other people first before we run to God. What I like about the book of James, it's an extremely practical book. It's a difficult book to read because why? It cuts to the heart and it changes, challenges everything of, of who we are, but it's very practical and it gives us practical handles on how to live life. Counted pure joy. You know, suffering. Faith. Wisdom. Prayer. Patience. How awesome is that? I mean, I believe James wrote this book because he loved the church so much. God loves the church that he wrote this book so that we could know that, yes, as people, we are going to come against troubles. We are going to come against all sorts of things. We're going to be happy. We're going to be sad. But God is constant. And God is the one that we trust. It's a book of faith. It stirs faith. Even if you hate the book when you read it, it stirs faith. I want to end off with this, these um, two quotes by Francis Chan. It says, Christian faith is not about setting up some idea, ideal of perfect behavior, but of connecting with God humbly, listening to him, letting him reorder our priorities and living out his passion of the needy. Our faith in Christ changes us. The true faith, the living faith, is a natural outworking of good works. And good works, no matter how good, can't produce authentic faith. Faith is a gift and is never earned, but it's something that we can grow. Anyway, as you face trials, as you experience temptation, as you minister to the needy, as you suffer, have faith in God. Trust him for wisdom, for compassion, for patience, for endurance, for healing, and trust him for the faith that produces a harvest of righteousness. 
I love that. I just think if we trust in God for everything, we need to trust him for faith, for patience, for perseverance, for compassion, for mercy. What are all of those things? It's the character of God. Eh? We trust God for his character to be imprinted in us so that we can outwork his character into the world. And that's what we do. Amen. So we're going to do a little exercise now. As we end, we're not going to have a song, but we're going to pray. And we're going to pray together as families. So if you are here with your family, if you're not, you can pair up. Um, But it says here, if you're in trouble, pray. You know your family better than anyone else. This is not a time to go confessing your sins to the world. This is just a time to pray. Pray for each other. We're going to take about two minutes. It's not long. But just pray with each other as a family and ask God to come and instill some of this culture in your heart. Is that when you're you're in trouble, don't run to the world, run to God. When you're happy, don't run to the world, run to God. When you're sick, run to God. When you need to confess your sins, run to God, pray. Because he is worthy. Amen. We just take two minutes. We're just going to pray, and then I'll end off the prayer afterwards.